Welcome everyone to another episode of Revolution Recap. Since we last checked in, the Super Draft came and went with the Revs using three of their four uh, draft picks. Uh, this effectively finishes their off-season shopping as the team heads into preseason. I am Greg Johnstone. Joining me today from the Bent Musket uh, and the great state of Connecticut is Jake Catanese. Jake, how is it going? Happy New Year, buddy. I'm, I'm starting out 2020 being pleasant and uh, giving a compliment to Connecticut. But there, Listen, there, there's a lot of reasons to be pleasant in New England, including being pleasant to Connecticut because it has been a exceptional exceptional offseason that is true that is true and and we'll get into kind of your assessment of the offseason a little bit later but uh it's been very positive so far and it's very strange to start up preseason with the coach kind of saying yep we're ready to go in we have our roster set we're ready to go into training um last year i mean carly seal came in kind of last minute they kind of talked about bringing in some players i know uh they had the uh mystery trialist that everyone knew who it was uh last year in preseason so it's kind of weird with our roster pretty much set and ready to go um and i guess now it's just waiting for actual games to start before we jump into that uh we should jump into the super draft which happened between last episode and now um obviously headlined by the pick of harry kessler out of virginia drafted sixth overall uh that was the draft pick that the revs acquired from kansas city as part of the christian nemeth deal uh henry kessler is a junior center back anchor of the best defense in the country they conceded 13 goals in the regular season he was a semifinalist for the Herman Award, first team All-ACC, and a generation Adidas player. Some people consider him uh, one of the best central defenders in the draft, if not the best. Uh, Jake, what are your thoughts on Henry Kessler, and how pumped are you about this pick? We have been touting in the, the now uh, defunct uh, SB Nation soccer uh, mock drafts. I had been, compl- been wanting center backs for years, since, since AJ Soares left and was never fully replaced, and now five, six, seven years after that, uh, we finally get our center back, and it's arguably one of the best. And not only that, it's out of Bruce's well of everything soccer. The University of Virginia, uh, Bruce Arena, an alumni, uh, Clint P., USL coach, alumni, uh, former left back, now college scout, Chris Tierney uh, in the front office, also a Cavalier. Now you've got a center back, your first draft pick in the Bruce Arena era. It seems very fitting that that's where they would go, and and an, uh, not so much an, uh, an obvious pick from from where they were in the draft, but an obvious pick of center back is one of the easier positions to fill a need with in the draft. I, I think a lot of college center backs do very well. A lot of college defenders can do well. As much as I've loved seeing Brandon By, Dewan Jones, the, the transition of the attacking sort of wing wide player to MLS fullback um, a true center back a true defender I think is exactly what this uh, draft class needed and the Rebs went out and got it right away um, and they didn't have to trade up or do anything they just they got Kessler where they wanted him right where they were at number six yeah and allegedly the Rebs were trying to move up to take Kessler Bruce Arena and the Revolution claim that this was their number one pick available in the draft which is a pretty amazing track record for the Rebs because last year I'm pretty sure they said Tayon Buchanan was their top pick on their board, uh, and he fell to them at nine, uh, although Buchanan was going number one in some drafts. And then two years ago, uh, Brandon Bayh was allegedly their uh, number one pick, and Segbers were their, was their number two pick, and both of them fell to eight and nine. So pretty amazing uh, that three years in a row, the Revs allegedly get their best player available in all three drafts. In this case, I, I think you can make a case that it's pretty believable. Uh, Kessler was, as you say, kind of out of this University of Virginia tree uh, from Bruce Arena. He has a very um, good knowledge of that program. 
it was noted he went down to Virginia to scout Kessler, and he probably also was scouting Daryl Dyke, uh, the striker who went number five overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, should, it should be noted that Virginia had two um, potential number one picks overall, so it, it's not a big surprise to hear that uh, they're able to get someone um, out of the University of Virginia. And uh, looking at the beginning of the day, I know there were some mock drafts that had Kessler falling to six, but it wasn't really a sure bet. I think the Vancouver Whitecaps took um, Ryan Raposo at number four, and that was kind of not necessarily... A, a wild pick, but it, it certainly seemed like a bit of a reach because Daryl Dyke and Kessler were considered to be better players than Raposo. But yeah, overall, I, I think this is about as good as you could have asked for. This was the best use of a pick two for the roster. Looking at the center backs on this roster, um, we kind of talked about this last episode. You haven't really changed a whole lot. You've brought in Samba Kamara and you've taken out Jaleel Anibaba. And that's really been the only change to the center back grouping that needed some improvement. I think a lot of fans kind of felt so. Um, bringing Kessler, bringing a young guy, he's, he's a person that probably won't be starting at game number one, but I wouldn't be sure to see him make some appearances throughout this team uh, for, for this team throughout the year and and as you said center backs are a position that you can get some decent value out of the the, the draft really you're, you're the best picks that have come out of it have been you know wingers that have converted to outside backs the occasional striker will come out and but they're really hit or miss uh, but center backs seem to have a, a pretty decent track record uh, still in the super draft even though the importance of the center draft has been uh, diminishing over the past few years so yeah overall I mean if I was to grade this pick I, I'd give it an A, I think this is one of the best case scenarios for the Revs um, coming out of the super draft. Yeah, and, and I, I think it's also it's it's it was not it was also it's it, as you said like you know the Revs are targeting players for you know I think where they think they're going to be like obviously they wanted Kessel they were trying to move up to get him I think particularly once you had um Dylan I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher the last name Dylan Nihilus out of Georgetown yep. and, and Jack Mayer went like two three and I can't I know I think Mayer was a center back I don't remember if Nihilus he just he's just listed as defender which is always sort of vague I wish they would use positions but Mayer was a center back out of Indiana and he's Indiana, cons- okay. uh, uh, what I've read too is he might not be ready to jump into to MLS but he has the highest ceiling that's kind of what I saw from people who know way better than than me sure and like you know like I said uh, you know New England as as far as drafting goes I think New England has always been a team that's done exceptionally well in in the, the variety of MLS drafts and that is at some point a testament to what the franchise does with the with you know the the oddball budget constraints that is MLS at times uh, but I think once you had once you had Kessler at number 6 we we go down and Revolution make a trade and sell their pick to Nashville for some gam money. I actually was looking at Tanner Beeson, who I think was a left back at a Stanford. He went number 12. I wonder if that's who Arena maybe wanted at that spot. And then once he was off the board, he goes, all right, who wants this pick? Yeah, it's very possible too, because they call timeout. Um, which you know you can do you can do that in the MLS Super Draft. Yep. Uh, there's there's so many moving pieces, and yeah, I, I, that wouldn't shock me if that is what ended up happening. And if you look kind of at the next pick. Simon Lecresner out of Cal, uh, he's an outside back as well. So, you know, that back line, center back, left back, right back, is, is probably the areas that they were kind of looking to strengthen uh, with that 13th uh, pick. But before before you, uh, you jump in, uh, I just want to kind of summarize the deal overall. The Revs traded that pick to Nashville for 50000 in allocation money, an extra conditional 50000 uh, depending on how well that pick does. The pick was a goalkeeper, so I'm not sure how much, you know, he, he might not even play at Nashville. Might be a depth uh, piece for Nashville as well. But um, considering the other trades, a lot of people say that's not a lot, a whole lot of money. Um, but if you look at kind of some other trades that happened on draft day, the number eleven pick went for seventy-five thousand. The number pick, uh, the number ten pick went for a uh, hundred thousand in allocation money. The number twenty-one uh, spot went for. 
uh, movement in the allocation order, uh, which is just Philadelphia being Philadelphia. Um, the number three pick overall, which was Dylan Nealis, who actually is a very, very strong prospect, was traded for 150000 um back in November. So, yeah, n- there's not a lot of value in, in draft picks, it seems like, anymore on an allocation money basis. Um, and this seems to be what the Revs could get for this pick. I- I'm not really that upset that they moved out of it, because as you said, I-, I don't know if there's anyone that they were looking for. Yeah, I mean, the only other player that I think w- was of note that went a couple picks later... Um... Aaron Malloy or Malloy from from Penn State, uh, I think was a holding midfielder type player. That would have been someone I said, listen, you're at 13. That was a guy who was rated in the top 10. I I would grab him if you were really set on Beeson and he's not there. You move out of it. That's fine. You know, would I have preferred in a year you're going to start a USL 2 team to have the player to stash in USL? Yes. Does 50,000 in Garber Bucks? Do the Rebs any good this year? I have no idea because we don't actually distribute or tell what the Garber Bucks are used for. So it's hard for me to tell. I would have preferred the player. I have cash. Eh, it is what it is. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, and, you know, we don't know, but it seems like they're just selling for whatever they can get, too. I mean, you know, you know what I mean? I don't think this was a godfather offer from Nashville. I think the Rebs looked at the board and they said, eh, I don't I don't know. You mentioned Malloy. I just want to mention, too, some people had him pretty high on their, their big board. Yep. Some people saw him as a top 10 talent. The problem is he requires an international spot. It was the same thing for Patrick Nielsen, who's also Patrick another... Nielsen. And that that I think is the one the one spot that I think when when we're when we're recapping the super draft we really have to focus on the fact that New England anyone from an international spot would have been very hard for New England to pick up without trading or acquiring an international spot. So I'm pretty sure we're close to being tapped out unless a couple of people like Mancien or Panier or someone start picking up green cards, which Atlanta seems to have growing off of trees. So we got to talk to our uh, visa guy up here in New England and figure out what's going on. Yeah, I, I don't have the. Um, list available offhand, but I think we did the math, and it's uh, nine international spots right now. So they yeah. need to get some uh, green cards, which it's rumored they're they're getting into it. But but it's, those are things that we can't you can't like you know guarantee that oh yeah you're going to have those spots open because I think last year they only had I think you get nine international spots you can buy the ninth or trade for a ninth I think everyone gets eight. And we at we kept everyone. No, we lost. We lost Caicedo too. We added Bootner and Buxka. So that was the eight right there. I and, think. and Samba. And Samba. So now, yeah, you're looking at you're looking at you're you're looking at nine right now already. And I don't think we've traded and got the extra spot. So either green card shenanigans, roster shenanigans are still to happen, or something else is is being plotted. We're not sure. Correct. But even still, uh, getting back to Malloy, uh, you, you pointing out that we have nine international spots, even if you have, in theory, two international, uh, two two people get green cards. Let's say Mancien gets a green card, which is rumored, and as part of the reason he came back, let's say Wilfred Zahibo gets a uh, green card and he, he, he's removed. You still could make the argument that it's almost better to have an international spot open and trade that for allocation money and trade your draft pick for allocation money than yep. to uh, use a draft pick on a, a guy that you don't expect to make your team, uh, would go play down at usl and require a you know you know what i mean so it's a yeah and i don't i don't want to go down the rabbit hole of usl one and international roster spots i'm still dealing with the mls rabbit hole this is just, it's just too much 
just to touch on the second round picks that the Revs both did use, which I was a little surprised. At. I thought we'd see some movement, but it, it might have just been there was no takers for these picks. Uh, mm-hmm. But the 30th pick overall was Simon LaCresner out of Cal, uh, a right back. He This pick was acquired as part of the Kai Kamara deal with Vancouver back in December 2017. So for those of you keeping track at home, that deal is now officially Kai Kamara for Simon LaCresner and Dewan Jones, which is not totally a, a bad return considering that Kamara. That doesn't sound a handful of years ago as far as weird like baseball and other thing type trades like listen i don't think that's all that bad you got the you got the what is it the fourth overall pick in the second round yeah yeah like that's for as far as second round picks go i think really once you get past you know halfway through the first round everything's kind of a crapshoot anyway getting a high-end second round pick on top of everything else that's not bad no not at all and you know uh, he he LaCresner was a bit of a steal at 30. I know he's probably going to be slotted in at Revs 2. We're probably not going to see much of him at Revs 1, but considering where this pick was, he scored five goals and two assists in his senior year last year, overall eight goals and five assists for a right back. That's pretty good. He was a converted striker, moved back to right back uh, midway through college. Going off of the SBI and top tour soccer big boards, which were probably the two best sources I saw going into the draft, um, LaCresner was rated as the 18th best prospect for SBI, 20 ninth for top shore um overall they had him as the fifth best right back on the board so um provides a little bit of depth there to a spot that i, I think could use it and considering the struggles of andrew farrell and brandon by um lacresner seems to be a bit of an offensive minded player uh so you know i, I know dewan jones might move over right back and and he might uh add a little bit of uh, offense to that side of the field but lacresner certainly seems to be another option uh, if the revs want to go that way um and then uh, one more pick to the 43rd pick keegan meyer at a high point former walk on uh, 27 shutouts in his career. He was first team all Big South uh, three straight years. He was ranked as the third best goalkeeper on the board by SBI and Top Drawer Soccer, 37th best prospect overall by SBI, 48th by Top Drawer. So it still seems to be pretty decent pick. Jake, do you have any thoughts on these second round picks and do you have any expectations for him? You know, I, I really like the, the, the depth that, that Lechresner has and I, I hope he gets a, a very good shot at US at the USL level because you're right, he, he is that sort of offensive-minded fullback type and I, and I so fullback type is weird because instead of a converted winger, he was a literal striker. Like, we're not, we're not talking about someone who was an outside wide speedster. Like, no, he was more of like a, I'm going to be a, you know, in the box partner striker type player. Now I'm just playing right back. So that's a, a, a much different skill set, I think, than something that, that Jones or by have offered and, and both of those guys I think do different things. I always sort of am a little bit wary about Brandon by going forward, but athletically him and Farrell have been just so dominant and just catching people that you can hide some of the fact that well they're maybe not great actual defenders that's okay dewan jones actually i think was far more natural at the adjustment um so lechrisner certainly seems to fit that mold and he's already got a year of that in college um the only thing interesting for me um for keegan meyer at goalkeeper is probably going to usl level that's perfectly fine but you had former revs alum austin aviza from UConn, Syracuse, slash Providence, because um, he transferred around a lot, going right behind him to Orlando at 18. And I am not going to ask the question of what happened there, because it's none of my business, but but that's I think that's a very interesting moment uh, in the draft there, was Austin Aviza going one pick right behind Meyer. Yeah, and a former uh, Revs Academy product. Really kind of strange um, that they go back to back. I will note that Visa was not on um, the SBI big board. I don't have if he was on the top drawer big board at all, but 
Keegan Meyer was rated higher than a visa in, in both these categories. So it might be that. It also might be that you got you to gotta remember that the infrastructure of the Revs front office came in midway through the last year. And so it's very possible they're not very familiar with a visa. You know, maybe they were hoping they would sign him uh, uh, to a USL contract. We've seen the Revs... Uh, be very active in signing players to some Revs mm-hmm. 2 contracts in the past few weeks. Maybe yep. they were hoping he would go undrafted. In theory, they could still sign a visa. And like I said, yeah, there's there's a lot of extras because, again, you're talking about MLS Academy to draft, and there's a lot of mechanics and things that are going on. I don't know if there's any, whatever the relationship would between a visa, the Academy, the front office, between everything. Um, this is, to me, whether or not Austin Aviza wanted to, come to new england neither here nor there this is what happens when you don't have the infrastructure in place to get your academy players from college to the pros having the usl one team and figuring out say hey instead of that weird ghost u23 team that sort of played against the npsl but wasn't an npsl team now we have this place hey you're in the offseason great come play with us for two months you can hang out on the usl squad and then you go back to college it'll be great now you actually have that you don't need, you know, you don't have the MPSL ranks. You don't have this U23 college thing. You can just say, hey, we're going to have an academy player, an academy graduate, play in our USL team, whatever the guest player roster, whatever the heck you have to do for the mechanics on the roster. But we're going to have those the, those players, a half dozen extra players, however many extra players now on that roster, you're going to see a, a lot of more academy alumni getting minutes. That could be U16 level, U18 level college level now you have that mechanic where those types of players can graduate and you're not going to have the austin avisas slip through and go somewhere else mitch tainers of the world things like that where they're going and developing in other people's usl2 teams and then moving on to mls yes although i, I do think i, I want to correct you on something jake because i think the way i understand it if you sign a usl contract you're no longer ncaa eligible no, I know there's, you know what, I have to talk to the guys down in D.C. because they have a whole bunch of academy guys. I don't know, again, this might be college or I don't know how it works, but they, they're they listed as academy players, so they're not listed as professionals. There is there is some designation that these guys, they're not MLS players, they're academy players. They're like playing a division up. I don't know how it works. You might actually have to be the U18 team. Maybe you can't do it for the college guys. I'm not sure, but this is just another step of getting the guys who actually go the college route, getting them more minutes and getting them back to either USL or MLS. You're right. Once you sign a pro contract, you're done. There is there is a way to sort of fudge that in the meantime, but uh, we're not good at that yet because we don't have those types of teams. And obviously Red Bull's the one with the full MPSL team, U23, the whole thing. So Yeah, I'm, I'm learning a whole lot about USL and how players move, and, and it, it's, it's been a whole headache. And Oh my god, we just we, we, we just occasionally, right when we think we know the MLS rules, they throw two other leagues at us, and I just I just can't right now. But getting back to Keegan Meyer here, and, and someone made the comment earlier too, because I think, uh, who signed a keeper? I think it was Minnesota signed a, a keeper this week, uh, or, or someone's looking to bring in a TAM keeper or a DP keeper. Um, Minnesota Minnesota traded for the guy from LAFC, uh, Tyler Miller. Oh, no. you're right. They trade for Tyler. I forget who it is. Someone's trying to bring in an international keeper, which, and someone made the comment of, you know, um, it's pretty crazy to me that people are spending all this big money on international keepers when, you know, the, the one position that Americans seem to develop really yep. well. Is I believe, keepers. I believe that was, that was really MPA. I, I, I know the username and I believe I tweeted out our, our last goalkeepers that we drafted were uh, Robert Shuttleworth, professional gentleman of leisure from the university of Buffalo. And I think also transferred from Loyola of Maryland, um, Brad Knighton, UNC Wilmington, uh, Matt Turner, 
uh, the Mac Legends, uh, Fairfield Stags. Like these are not high end programs. This is not Matt Reese from UCLA in in you know the two in two thousand. Like these are you know mid major keepers, high point Keegan Meyer. Like these are guys coming from you know mid low major type programs and are professional MLS goalkeepers and they're good at it. So I don't know why Vito Manone or anyone else is getting signed looking at you, Philadelphia and Ross Emboli. You know, like, yeah, I don't know why, I don't know why you're, you're spending money on those types when you can get Andre Blake in the draft. I know that's a different story, but like, you know I, I was I mean, going to say right? no one under the age of uh, 30 is going to get that reference, but well, that's, that's a good reference. <laughs> <laughs> If you if you look at the the if you go off of the expected goal metrics, the two best keepers by far in MLS last season came out of Fairfield University and Oakland University. Matt Turner and Steve Clark. So this guy uh, Keegan Meyer, as I say, he was he was a bit of a walk on. So maybe he's a bit of a late bloomer. Maybe he's learning the position. But twenty seven shutouts in his college career is no joke. Three first team uh, all conferences. Um, you know it is a small school, but we you know there are some good track records of of great players coming out of small schools and playing keeper so well matt, matt turner wasn't even drafted was he he was undrafted yeah he was undrafted so yeah i mean like i said there there are players that you can get goalkeeper should be really the one position if you want to have an international guy or if you if you you have an international guy who tries out and you love him and he's that good great that's that's fine goalkeeper to me is like the one position in this country listen we have goalkeepers i don't know where we find them um everyone has found them um, we know we export, we should be exporting more goalkeepers from this league than we know what to do with. Uh, and somehow it hasn't been working out for the, you know, Bill Hamid and Zach Steffens and Andre Blake is still in Philadelphia. I don't know how someone hasn't snatched him up on a big transfer. Um, but yeah, those, those, those are the ones position where I'm like, I don't know why anyone would, would spend an international roster spot in this league on, on a goalkeeper. I'm sorry. Uh, not, not with the talent that's available either from college or just, just in the domestic ranks. The one other thing, too, I'll say about Keegan Meyer, which is why I, I'm very hopeful for him. I don't know a whole lot about him. I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know a whole lot about him. But the fact that the Revs, one, took him over Aviza, who they, they do know and is in their system. Uh, and two, just the fact that they took a goalkeeper when they have Matt Turner locked in long term. So you have your starter. You have a three keepers, including Jeff Caldwell, who was added to the Revolution roster. I'm pretty sure he was automatically added from the waiver uh, draft, which that's a whole other thing, if you remember my rant from last week. I do remember your rant, and I remember checking. The last time I saw a roster update from Matt Doyle, like a week and a half ago, he wasn't officially on the on the list that he put out for goalkeepers. So, so in, in defense of Matt Doyle, I don't mean to defend a UConn grad. Um, but hey, hey, I, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did check this out, and I think if you go to the Revs roster, I, I think it was something like Jeff Caldwell is on the full page, but if you sort by goalkeepers, he he wasn't popping up. So it seems like it seems like what happened is that Matt Doyle went to their roster, sorted by position, and because that's how he did his. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, there's a glitch on the the website. But no, I, Jeff Caldwell confirmed by uh, Bruce Arena right after the super draft that he uh, that Caldwell was on the roster, which was a big shock to me because my assumption when they took a goalkeeper was that Jeff Caldwell was not going to be on the revs. I mean, right? There, but it's some combination. You're looking at ideally probably the guys who are going to split the bulk of the minutes in in the USL two side. Because you have you have Matt Turner's the established number one, Brad Knight is the established number two. Okay, we're gonna put you guys down the USL team. I don't care if you guys alternate every other week. I don't, however you want to do it in the schedule, you're gonna have two guys now getting game minutes that they otherwise wouldn't because of the magic of the USL two team. And 
Jeff Caldwell played at U.S. Championship last year, so mm-hmm. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if he was on loan to, say, Hartford, where Cody Cropper was loaned last year, and Keegan Meyer played for Rebs too. You can absolutely, you can absolutely do that as well. I mean, you're going to have to figure out probably going to have some kind of backup down the USL two level. But I think that's sort of you know the interesting thing of for New England. Like you're right, you have the USL you know one league team, but you also can start you know shipping a couple of guys to you know USL. You know maybe you've got you know Renix maybe goes back down to Carolina if he if he wanted to go back there. If you still had you know say he's he's not with us anymore, but you could have had Zach Caravo could have had his pick of you know USL you know, loan minutes that, that he could have wanted. Cause he's, he's been in that level and with several teams. So, uh, I think it is interesting now you're right. You could, you could, you don't have to have all of your minutes down at, at USL one. You can maybe put a couple of the, the big, uh, revs backup guys or the big development guys. Uh, and you can put them, uh, somewhere else, Hartford, Rhode Island, when that materializes somewhere else in the league. Um, I'd love to see, where Nicholas Firmino gets minutes this year. I'm really excited to see uh, him in particular, as well as uh, missing whoever we just signed, uh, Rivera, Damian Rivera. You know, those those are guys where I'm like, okay, you know, I want to see you guys get minutes this year. I don't care where it is, but I want I want to see the minutes, and I see one where I want to see where they come from. Well, enough talking about uh, uh, the, the actual draft picks. Let's get to the good part. Do you have an overall grade for the Revs Super Draft this year? Yeah, so we we at the Bent Musket pride ourselves on originality and nonconformity. So all of us gave the Revs a B plus for the draft. It was me, Matt, and uh, Josh. Um, I think B plus was was very solid. There were little things we didn't love. I didn't personally, like I said, I didn't love the whole Austin Avizia going right behind Keegan Meyer thing. I didn't love selling the draft pick, but you got your guys. You you got your defenders. You got a, you got one of your backup keepers. You 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 have a clear defined path now not just at the first level, but also behind that. Like, I see the depth chart developing. I see the back line where I go, okay, even if I move Andrew Farrell to right back or to center back, I know where other guys can get minutes. I know where other guys can slot in. This is something we've been asking these questions for several years on the back line, and now so many of them have been answered just in one off season and one draft class. Um, and I, I, it's a very refreshing uh, take of just listen, we're going to do this, and then we're going to go. Then we actually do it, as opposed to, well, we we're really happy we took the best guys on the board, and I'm like, yeah, but where are they going to play? So I, I think it's a much, it's 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 a refreshing and and I want to say honest, but a more direct approach that Bruce Arena has brought uh, to the offseason and to the draft class uh, for a team that you know New England historically has always been great. I think at the Super Draft, and obviously with Bruce, uh, that's that's likely to continue. Uh, for as long as the super draft uh, is around, and I hope personally it's around for a while. Yeah, and that's a, that we could go off on a whole other uh, podcast about what the future of the super draft is, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you're, you're right. I, I give them an A minus. Uh, I'll be a little more kind than you. I don't mind trading away the draft pick um, for reasons I said earlier that I don't really know who they would have taken there. Um, I think Kessler can give you minutes in 2020 um the only reason i'm giving them a uh, bit of a, a dip to a minus is that uh, there was one guy in the draft that i think could have made an impact right away for the revs and that was dylan nealis who we talked about earlier the right back out of georgetown um from what i saw he is um a really finished product a really great two-way right back uh, and that seems to be one of their weak spots at right back. Uh, I, I know they have Brandon by who is doing well, but he has some flaws. Duwan Jones could shift over from left to right, but I'm pretty convinced he's a winger. Um, so I think if they would have brought in D- Dylan Nealis, uh, I, I think that's a guy that potentially from day one is giving Brandon by competition for minutes might be starting, you know, 
a few months into the season in my mind. Um, but outside of that, I mean, he, they would have had to have traded up for the number three pick overall. Uh, and it seems like the Revs were higher on Kessler anyway, so I'm not going to complain too much about that. Um, but yeah, overall, I, I think they got a pretty solid center back at, at number six. Um, I, I think the right back they got in LeKessner uh, has a bit of potential if he can defend. Um, I, I think we might get some minutes out of a second round draft pick, which is a really, really positive thing. Uh, and then the goalkeeper, as I say, I think that's a bit of a wild card. I, I wouldn't have taken a goalkeeper just because they have three on their roster already. Um, I'm not even sure if he's going to sign, get signed to an MLS contract. They might just sign him to a USL contract. Um, but overall, I, I think they did a really good job of uh, fixing some needs uh, and using these picks as, as well as they can. So um, Jake, uh, I'm going to ask you for another grade because um, last podcast, Sean and I talked about our off-season grades uh, and, and our general thoughts on the off-season. Um, without kind of restarting that whole conversation, I wanted to see if you had a grade uh, on the Revolution's off-season so far. I mean, before the podcast, we, we mentioned the last time the Revolution had a what we would consider to be a great off-season. And I went I had to go all the way back to 2002 to the MLS allocation slash dispersal draft for the mutiny and fusion when the Revs picked up Carlos Imosa, Steve Ralston, uh, Mamadou Diallo in that draft, and then went out and got in the first round of the 2002 Super Draft, Taylor Tolman followed by Shalri Joseph. So in 2002, mind you, this is a completely different MLS 1.0 era. The last time the Revs had a great off-season, not mid-season, not calendar year, off-season winter was 2002. This is an A-plus offseason. It is probably the greatest offseason in the history of the New England Revolution. And it's not even close. Probably the third best offseason was last year simply because you got Carlos Gill. That's it. That's the list of good, legitimate Rebs offseasons. Three of them. And two of them have come in the last, now and last year. Like uh, The Revolution and offseasons have been a usually a, a painful or lackluster process, particularly more recently. Um, there have been good drafts, there have been good um, signings, there have been good midseason trades, but there has not been the home run after home run type of offseason that I think Bruce Arena is putting together with, you know, Alexander Butner, left back, Adam Buska, striker. Um, now you are seeing, okay, we have the core players, now we're going after the big fish to top the end of the roster to hit those home runs to be the 10, 15 goal scorers. And honestly, this is the first time in many, many years where all of us have been legitimately excited. I think going into a, a, a preseason camp because the roster is finished. Yep. 27 players signed um, and then two more draft picks. So we, we could be looking at 29 out of 30 roster spots being uh, taken on opening day, uh, which is a, a rarity to a franchise that is used to roster flexibility. So I hashtag roster flexibility. We need to put that on a t-shirt. Um, I believe, and I have to double check the year cause I could be wrong. I believe at one point it might've been 2016. The new England revolution started a season with 23 players. I remember having a legitimate aneurysm looking at those numbers and thinking to myself, how are you going to play an entire season with 23 players? That is a like Olympic international roster size. Like that's it. You get your first team, your second team, your three goalkeepers. That's it. Um, and now here we are, you know, handful of years later in one off season, we have 29 spots, all the senior roster spots filled three DPs, uh, multiple TAM players like it finally feels like after 25 years of the league and and 
seemingly half of that in the designated player era that, that New England is now, we might be able to say they're an MLS 3.0 team. We might. And this is a wild conversation if you consider where this team was one year ago. One, Not um, even one year ago. Eight, what is it, eight, eight months ago? May, April of last year? Like, not even a calendar year ago where this team was to now. You know, the, the, the biggest acquisition for this team happened in May. Jake, you ready for some listener questions? I love listener questions. Let's do this. All right. For, well, on the backs of the Super Draft, Cam asks us, do you think Kessler will stay with the first team? Um, I, I, I think he'll get some minutes at the first team. I don't think he's going to be a starter. I think they brought in Samba yeah. Kamara. This is, this is going to be, we're, we're going to, we're going to again mention, this is the, the Rebs two-way contracts, NHL style or 40-man roster. Kessler is going to be an MLS player. He's a GA player. That's, that's guaranteed. He's probably going to play more minutes in the USL or more minutes, either Rebs two or wherever he gets loaned to. He's going to play more minutes or more games somewhere else. Do I expect him to get, significant minutes to the MLS. Yes, he's effectively, in my opinion, replacing Jaleel Anibaba. Jaleel Anibaba played a ton of minutes last year. We can say that, well, it's because Mancian was hurt. Oh, it's because uh, De La Maya was hurt. Listen, you're going to play, you need your center backs. Your center backs so that they are a focal point of the of the uh, formation. You need those guys healthy. If they're not healthy, I don't really want them playing at 80% because they're not going to be effective. Um, he's going to get minutes. Uh, I hope he does well. When he does get those minutes, because they're they're going to be in MLS games and they're going to be in in probably a few big games, uh, maybe even down the stretch. Um, so you know, hopefully, if he if he gets a few minutes, you know, get his feet wet, you know, USL or or loan, what have you. Um, but I, I think I think when he's when he's going to be called upon, I I think he'll be fine. I really do. Uh, is he going to crack a thousand minutes in MLS? Because that would be something like ten or eleven games total. Um, that might be. Um, Maybe not a good thing because that might be other bad things have happened to get him those minutes. Um, but could I see him getting, you know, a half dozen starts easily? Yes. I think a lot depends on too if Andrew Farrell shifts back to right back or if he stays at center back. And I, I think he's going to stay at center back to start the season. I, I think, and, and yeah, I, I just, there's a lot of variables there. It's not yeah, unreasonable, it's, but I think we'll see. And considering, too, he was an underclassman, he came out as a junior, it wouldn't shock me if we see one year of him at Revs 2 or maybe alone to the USL Championship to Hartford or something like that. I do want to just quickly, briefly, before because we're going to get into this in a little bit, and I, I want to clarify something because I know rosters are confusing. So, Jake, if you give me two minutes, I want to just explain something real quick about the rosters. A lot of people, there's a misconception going around that you can basically loan any player from Revs 2 up to MLS. And that's kind of true, not really. Essentially, you can only play in an MLS game if you have an MLS contract. So anyone who's not on the Revs 30-man roster cannot be loaned to the Revs. You, you need an MLS contract. And the reason for that is because you can't sign a bunch of players to a USL contract and pay them below the MLS minimum salary and then loan them up to the revs for, for game action. It, it, you, you have to be making an MLS minimum salary. So, uh, and, and you kind of mentioned this earlier, this is the reason I'm bringing it up. It's kind of like being on the, you know, you need to be on like the Red Sox 40 man roster. So, you know, if you're playing for the Portland Sea Dogs or the Pawtucket Red Sox, if you go up to the Boston Red Sox, you need to be added to the Boston Red Sox 40 man roster and be given a major league contract. Um, it's kind of a similar concept here where, um, you know, the Revs have signed eight players to USL contracts. Um, 
if they wanted any of those players for the MLS, they would need to sign them to um, a homegrown contract or a MLS contract. So I I just want to kind of briefly specify that because there's just a a couple of misconceptions that we can willy-nilly call up and send down players as much as we want. And we can send down players as much as we want, uh, MLS to USL. But there's very, very – the only way you can call up a player from USL to MLS is if basically your whole team is injured. Yeah, when, we, when, when, I, when I sort of make the, the reference of the NHL two-way contract, what I'm really saying is it's an MLS two-way contract. You are an MLS, you are an MLS player. We can send you down whenever we want. Um, we just can't, we, you know, in order to send someone up, you need to have the roster spots. So the way the roster spots open up, someone gets hurt, someone gets put on the, uh, the, 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 the season-ending injury list or the injured reserve list, that would be a time when now you can say, okay, hold on, we're going to activate one of our USL guys yeah, I, I just wanted to clarify that quickly because I, I no, cause it, like, we're, it, we're, it's going to be a long season of figuring out how oh this works. Oh my god, the rab- the rabbit holes. We're gonna we're gonna be cursing at the rabbit holes all year. We already know this uh, because now we're adding like seven more. Well, so I don't know if you saw this either, but uh, the revs, one of the revs, two signings, Rio Shimazaki. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but he was a third round draft pick by the Crew, who revs two signed on a USL contract. And basically the way that works is that the Revs, Revs 2 can sign him to play in USL, but the Revs can't sign him to an MLS contract because the crew have his right. The crew has his right. So in order to sign him to an MLS contract, we would have to ship some Garber Bucks or what have you over to the crew, acquire his rights, and then get him onto the roster again. All of these now have multifaceted layers of everything. For now, the easiest thing is, listen, the Revs Revolution cannot just call up Nick Woodruff whenever we want to play MLS games. We need to have a roster spot for him. Let's get back onto the listener questions here. TSB11 says, uh, will the front office bring in someone to play next to Luis Caicedo, or are they hoping for improvement from within at center mid? Um, in either case, who are you looking at, inside or outside? Also, uh, Revolution Report asks us, are you surprised they didn't and don't look like they will sign a starting level midfielder? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, me personally, I was touting holding midfielder. You want the big holding You want the Jermaine Jones type holding midfielder. That to me is what this team needs. Instead, they went out and got it out in Busca. I'm not going to complain. He's a young DP, looks fairly legitimate from what I can tell. We're going to see how well he does in MLS. You've got Carlos Gill playing behind him, Gustavo Bo playing next to him. That's a pretty good attacking trio, guys. We can't really be complaining about this. Um, so now you're looking at central midfield by, uh, by committee behind Carlos Gill at the number 10 spot. Um, it would not shock me to see a lot more of Kellen Rowe in that spot, either next to Gill or, or behind him. Um, obviously, you've got Zahibo, Caicedo, Caldwell already there. Um, you might see a little bit more of Diego Fagundes at that spot because, again, now, you know, Diego Fagundes, there's really not another striker spot. There's not an attacking midfield spot. The winger spots are a little bit harder. What's Diego's situation, which we'll get to, I'm sure, in another listener question. There's a lot of little parts now where you've, you've got about the bulk of the ride, like nine spots, either starting-wise in the formation. Uh, like, you, you have a good idea of who nine of the starters are. And then you've got other guys, like, you know, is Teal going to be a striker? Is Teal going to be a, you know, wing, you know, wide player? Um, you're going to put Kellen Rowe in the middle of the field. You're going to put him out wide. There's, there's little questions like that that I think we still have to figure out um, as we get into preseason, which is what preseason is for. So it's interesting to see how Bruce is going to use those guys and move them around, either based on matchups or based on what he wants to do uh, on his own. 
Then you answer like three of the next. Uh, oh, dear. <laughs> the I do that, but it's like, but it's one of those things where it's like there's so many facets to some of these, but it's it's also it's like I want to see as many of these guys get minutes because we've seen what they can do. But holding midfield is one of those where it's like it doesn't feel like in 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 this style what Bruce has been trying to do. Holding midfield is just like just put Scott Caldwell there. He's fine. Don't don't just just don't just don't mess with it. Um, and at the same time, it's like uh, maybe we need someone bigger than Scott Caldwell to just tackle someone. Um, that's why we have Zahibo. So it's like some of it is you can solve it internally with the guys that you have, and then some of it is like I need to see what formation Bruce wants to do. So overall, were you surprised that they didn't bring in anyone new? Because it sounds like you were a little disappointed. But I, I mean, I was disappointed because that I think that this team was firing on all cylinders when it had the spine of Lee Wynn and Jermaine Jones. When you had that other deep-lying midfielder that could create, that could hit that killer diagonal, you didn't need you know, Gustavo Bo out wide and Adam Buska up top. You had... Teal Bunbury, you had Charlie Davies. You know, New England has gotten by for a very, very long time with a lot of goal scoring by committee and goal scoring by guys who you wouldn't necessarily think you would want to rely on for scoring. They didn't need superstars at every attacking position. You know, you had you had an MVP caliber Lee Wynn player and you had Jermaine Jones and a pretty good supporting cast around those guys and it worked. Well, now you've got the big front end guys. You have the supporting cast behind them. Now we're going to have to see, because this is never something the Revolution have never done before, we're going to have to see if those big guns up front can carry this team, or if they're going to need a lot of support from that midfield. And if they're going to need a lot of support from that midfield, now you're going to look at your roster construction and go, God, maybe we should have gotten a n- someone else to help out in the midfield, rather than the people we already have. Obviously, we're bringing back Kellen Rose, very familiar, but I... I, I, I I wonder what dynamics New England can produce with what they have, because it could be a lot, or all those combinations could also struggle, because we did see a lot of that last year. So, you know, I have to see really, I think this is a very, very important offseason, and I hope a lot of these types of questions, it not so much get answered, but at least we see the possibilities of, of where Bruce can go if and when he needs to. Getting on to the point of uh, formations, any Revs UK asks us, with the roster now looking pretty set, what formation do you see the Revs playing day one? I think you kind of answered a little bit <laughs> that already. Um, kind of uh, associated with that question here, too. Uh, Angus says, will there be uh, any unexpected changes to the starting 11 from what is the general expectation? Uh, so do you see any surprises? No, I mean, I still think it's going to be some combination of like 4-2-3-1, that, you know, kind of sort of, you, you know, I, I, I hesitate to call it a 4-3-3 because to me that sounds far too attacking, but maybe that's what it'll look like more. To me, a, a, a 4-3-3 and a 4-1-4-1 are more or less the same thing. I, I think the, the only real question that I would have, uh, Greg, would be, uh, do, do we think the Revolution are going to deploy two actual strikers? Are they going to put Buxkin and Bo up top next to each other? Because if they're not, and you put Bo out wide, well, that answers a lot of questions right there. The only questions you're asking are who is the winger opposite Bo and what side do they play on um, and then who are the midfield who's the midfield behind or next to Gil. Like that's it. Everything else like the back. Yes we have questions about the back line but like listen we know there's going to be four defenders. We know Gil's here. We know Bucks is up top. We know Bo's out wide. You know those are the things where like if it's Pania on the left and Bo on the right like okay well now who's next to Caicedo or is it going to be Caldwell and Rowe next to Gil like there it's really not so much the formation as the 
to me, the combination of the players and what Bruce is trying to do with them. Um, if you want a bunch of big bodies and you go with Bo and maybe Teal as your wingers and you ask Bo to defend a little bit more, maybe that's not a good idea. Maybe you want some other combination of wide players. Um, like I said, I, I think New England has the... I don't want to use this word. I don't want to use this word. Um, the roster flexibility to be able to match up against anyone that they want and say, we're going to take this away from you or we're going to do this and make you stop us. And they can do that in a lot of different ways. And I, I think the formation isn't necessarily that important. It's more of what New England does with that formation. I don't care if you call it a 4-4-2 or a 4-1-4-1 or a 4-5-1. The formation doesn't matter. The lineup construction and what the goal is to get the ball forward and what they do in the final third, that's what I want to see. I don't care what we call the formation. I want to see that group of players in action executing a game plan yeah and, and another thing too is that I, I think they have pieces to move people around mm -hmm. um you know we could see diego come off the bench one game game and start we could see kellen rowe start with caicedo in a game they want to be particularly attacking so i i think you're right there's a, a number of looks we can see uh, i still think we're going to see something similar to a four two three one which is kind of you know standard i hate to be boring it's not, um, it's not but boring if it's if it's really effective and everyone uses it like it's it's it is what it is. I, I think you're right. I think I would love to see New England be able to, over the course of, you know, regular season, U.S. Open Cup run, all that stuff, you know, be able to say, well, you know what? We, you know, you know, Bo just played like, you know, three games in eight days. Let's sit him because we have enough pieces to where we can give him a day off. And we don't have to just keep, you know, hammering over, you know, 34 regular season games, the same guys into the lineup and tire everyone out by August. Um, I, I think you're going to see a lot of very good, squad rotations from Bruce. Um, I think last year when we saw it late in the year, it was more experimental uh, Experimental for we're kind of struggling a little bit, and we also don't know what we're trying to do. And everything for me last year, 2019 was just an extended offseason into 2020. Now you've got this group of players. They've been playing well. You've added a few pieces. Okay, now let's see what we can do, take the next step, executing game plans, creating game plans, and tactically start to maybe dominate some games that otherwise the revs would not normally do. Yep, and and while we're talking about people uh, making an impact, one person we've named uh, Diego Fagundes, Aiden asked us, will Diego Fagundes find more minutes, uh, and what role, and if so, in what role and what position? You know, part of me, you know, between Diego Fagundes and Kellen Rowe, you've got two of these awesome, like, super sub-type guys. I would still think... You know, Diego has a very, very good shot to still grab the starting left wing, left midfield spot, or the or one of the outside mid, outside wing spots. Listen, guys, Diego Vinicius is a good soccer player. We all we all know this. Um, some people on Twitter don't agree it, with you on that. Just to warn you, that listen, we're going to get some tweets I, on that. One. I have I have written articles and I have fleeced Diego Fagundes for his lack of being able to be a defender, which is what we've, we you know you have to be a two way player in in soccer, and and a lot of times. People just aren't. It, it is what it is. Um, I, I railed on Deidre Yedlin for years. I'm like, he's not a defender. He's a wing, he's a winger who's playing right back, but he's not a defender. It, it, it is an interesting thing because Diego Fugundes and Kellen Rowe, to a certain extent, are guys we don't know what their best natural position is. It's probably center attack in midfield, to be honest, for both of them. But you already have Carlos Gill. You already had Lee Wynn. Okay, so where? how are you going to get these guys who are still one of your better 11 players 
onto the field than being effective. And we've seen Kellen Rowe struggle with that. We've seen Diego Fagundes get benched in a cup run with the same type of, we don't know what your best position is, and right now we need you to help out defend, and you're not doing it. So all of that is in the past. I forget who it is. It might even be Matt Doyle. Someone is touting the Diego Fagundes trade market all the time. I don't want to trade Diego Fagundes. I'd rather sell him, let him go somewhere overseas if that's if that's going to be the case. Um, but I, I, I think at some point, the Revolution are going to look at what they have and go, maybe we need to take one of the pieces we have. Maybe it's Diego. Maybe it's um, one of the other attackers. Maybe Cannon, someone. We need to get a midfielder. And maybe that's going to be from an MLS trade, and maybe we package one or two of our guys for a holding midfielder. Who, whether it's a TAM player from another team, I don't know. I'd have to look at who might be some potential trade possibilities later on in the in the summer. Well, the problem the problem with the Diego Fagundes trade though is that there's, he's in his contract year, and so essentially they they could have traded him two That's, years and, ago. And, and you they probably didn't. should have because you were bad, and and you did or sold him, and you were bad, and you didn't. Now now you're stuck with the expiring contract and the whole thing. I don't know. I, there's going to be no value for Diego Fabrinos <coughs> at this point. So I, I, we've been touting a Diego. No, and, and you know, and not, not within MLS. No, and certainly that's that's what I mean. Where it's like, you know, you know, if if New England's going to look to package something, you know, it's going to cost them a lot more. And Diego Fabrinos could just be, you know, like what we think is the proverbial throw, which would be sad because that's not the way I want his tenure to end in, in New England. But I I, I struggle to think if he's not starting, you know, substitute minutes are going to be very difficult because. You're going to have a rotation at central midfield. It's going to be very important behind Carlos Gill. That's probably going to eat up one of your subs. You're going to see a lot of, if Teal Bunbury's not starting, you're going to see a lot of him at the end of games because he can run for days and he plays hard. He plays a lot of defense and he's going to help shut down a flank uh, um, at the end of the game. Um, so that really, that only leaves you with like, you know, one spot off the bench and, you know, there just there might not just be a lot of opportunities for for these guys that are fighting off the bench. And while that's good on one hand, you have a lot of talent, you have a lot of depth. On the other hand, it's well, you got a lot of people who are just not playing, and that kind of stinks for them. Yeah, I think Diego Fagundes is going to be playing in a similar role as he did last year. Um, the only way I think he could could see more game time is if Christian Pinier just struggles, and and I'll, I might talk about this in a little bit. Um, but you know. I think Christian Pena's spot is not necessarily locked in. No. I, I think he's the best person for for left mm-hmm. wing. But um, you know, if Pena comes out and struggles, you know, <laughs> you know, a month or two in and is benched, who's taking his spot on the left wing? And I think Diego Fagundes they yeah. g- they'd give a lot of consideration I, I think to. Diego would be a, a very good option. You also, I think you're going to see Bo and him flip flop anyway because that's what they do. I have no problem if Bo starts on the left and you have some combination of Teal and Diego on the right. Um, nothing, you're like you said, nothing, nothing is set in stone. Um, there also could be a lot of, there could be a lot of games where it's like, you know what, let's put Diego out wide. Let's put Kellen in the middle with Gil. Like, let's put all three of those guys on. Like, you're going to see those, those types of games at some point, hopefully in the preseason. Um, and those teams could, like I said, this is going to be something that's very fun to watch both tactically and aesthetically, because this is a team that can create from a lot of different positions, depending on where they deploy everyone. Um, I think Kellen Rowe and Diego Fugun is getting minutes at holding midfielder and trying to do their best Jermaine Jones, diagonal pinging, maybe not ball winning badass, but just that guy who can help spring some of the counterattacks that I think this team should be good at. Yeah, why not stick those two guys back there and let them combine and move forward in big chunks of yardage? And then you've got them ghosting into the top of the box and bombing shots in on goal, which Kellen Rowe, we know, does, you know, for fun anyway. Um, 
So like I said, there's a lot of ways that this can work out. I think there's a lot of ways you can work out well, but there's also a lot of ways where it's just kind of sort of like, eh, it's fine. And Diego is a almost a victim of that. He uh, is. I, I think it's kind of crazy how far he's fallen down. But wow. anyway, Quite Revs asks us, um, what holes do you see in this team? Uh, well, let, let's start with there. Uh, what do you think is the weak spot overall? You for know the what? Refs? And we we did talk about this a little bit, but but for me again, we, we holding midfield was not improved in the offseason that doesn't mean it was bad doesn't mean it wasn't necessarily an issue but that's the one position on the field that wasn't improved center back was improved outside back was improved uh wing was improved um striker was improved we've seen over the last year all of those positions get improved holding midfield is the one spot that has largely remained the same the past couple of years that is the one position i still think we need an upgrade on you know, do I necessarily think that maybe, you know, is the back line completely settled? No, but we now have far more solutions to the back line than we did several weeks ago or several months ago. We still have the same solutions at holding mid. Yeah, yeah, that, that's really well put. And, you know, I, I think my answer to this is I'm still not very confident in the center backs. I, I think we have a rotation of options, but we lost Jaleel Anibaba. We brought in Kessler and Samba 2. Um, for reasons we mentioned last podcast, uh, Sean and I are not sold on Samba 2. Um, but so again, it, it is, there, kind of it, some... you know, center back is, you know what, it can be a position that at the very least, like holding mid, it's stable. Whereas... It could work, it could right. not. And like I said, it there's enough... There's enough options. There's enough options. Like you said, like I don't love Farrell at center back. I'd rather him stay at right back and never have played a minute at center back. But he's proven to be pretty damn capable just playing defense. It's fine. Yeah, if we were, you were to ask me the weaknesses, I, I, I would say I'm still really not sold on the center back as, uh, uh, combinations. And uh, certainly they played better towards the end of the mm-hmm. year. Uh, but, you know, I mean, there's a very good chance that our starting center back combo is Tony De La Maya and Andrew Farrell. And if you had told me that at the start, at the, the start of the offseason, um, uh, back in October that, and that November, would, I'd be a little disappointed. Been, it would have been, well, not only would it disappointed, it would have been mildly upsetting to a lot of people. But again, the difference really between the beginning of last year and the end of last year was, you know what? Beginning of the year, no one was healthy. There was a reason why we were seeing Jalila and Ibaba and Andrew Farrell almost every week throughout the summer, because those were the only two guys. You didn't have anyone else. Well, at the very least, now you do have other options. You do have Kessler. You can keep Farrell in the middle as much as I don't want him there. Um, you know, you, you have now far more depth there. Um, and I think that that's something that last year and for years that they have lacked is you simply just didn't have enough bodies to play center back if one person went down, let alone two people went down. Um, so at least now at every position, I can point and go, God, we're like two or three options deep at most of these spots. That's a lot better than where we were a couple of years ago. Uh, Quite Revs has two more questions here. Uh, what can be done to improve fan culture and just how bad are Adidas kits? Um, and <laughs> sounds like you have more of an opinion on the uh, kits than I do. Improve fan culture, I say build a stadium. Yeah, I, the, I think sta- that's a the, quite the easy one. stadium thing is the stadium thing. I mean, there's nothing we can do, but the, it is, you are playing in, in the morgue. We, we love Foxborough. We do. Um, as long as the throwball lines are off of our soccer field. Um, it is still home to the greatest championship banner in the world. That is the 2008 Superliga uh, championship title there below the press box. Um, y- you know, fan culture, it, it, you need to start cultivating fans instead of catering to youth soccer. Um, that's it. You need a stadium. You, you need you need to 
you know, if you want fan culture, you need to start appealing to fans. And on the roster front, on the first team front, you are cultivating to fans right now. I can assure you that you are building towards, hey, this roster is pretty darn good. Um, now you need to start to appeal to people who like soccer, people who are, uh, you know, older than the age of 10 and, and they can drive themselves to games and uh, can, if they choose to, uh, participate in, in tailgating and festive uh, adult beverages um, responsibly, of course. We would never drive uh, while drinking adult uh, beverages uh, or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, that, that's that's what it is. You know, the fan culture, I think the fan culture is great, but I also know a lot of the fans. I, I hang out uh, usually in Eagles gear in the tailgates uh, and interact with everyone, and everyone makes fun of my state. And it's wonderful, and I enjoy it, and it's the best. Um, now, what about the kits? <sighs> the kits. Um, everyone knows Adidas is bad. Nike is better. Um, of all the years you could have done something fun, this is what I'll say on the Adidas kits. All the years you could have done something fun, the 25th anniversary of MLS with all of the original teams having some kind of a funky, weird, bad, 90s-esque original MLS kit. This would have been the year, and it looks like we're getting cookie-cutter Adidas placemats. And it upsets me. Now, does that mean that people aren't going to go out and buy them? No, people are going to go out and buy it. If they want to go buy it, go buy it. Spend your money how you want. Don't don't judge me, uh, who doesn't buy any sports gear, really, because, well, I live in Connecticut, and all I can find are Giants and Yukon gear. But yeah, it, it, it just, it's disappointing from a, from a league standpoint. You, you could be so much more than the league. You need to, I think, at every opportunity, remind everyone that you're not a single entity Garber Buck awarding organization, and you are a fun, independent, awesome soccer league um, that's really fun and really enjoyable and is popular worldwide, or we think we're popular worldwide. And I don't, I don't think the cookie cutter co- uh, soccer kits help. And I hope they have an alternative retro. I hope there's a third man. There should be some kind of a fun. Listen, we all see that picture of Mike Burns 30 years ago, whatever it was, 25 years ago, where he, you know, he looks the same. He's just wearing a weird, goofy Reebok soccer jersey. Like we could bring those back. Like I have one of those weird, funky revs kit from the 90s in my closet, or like 2001 jerseys in my closet. Like those things are weird, man. Bring them back. Absolutely, absolutely, and and who knows? I mean, I would say we could wear them on our national televised, nationally televised. Oh game, wait, but, we uh, don't have one of those. I forgot about that. Uh, we were gonna, we're gonna get it a whole cool. hour. If we got that. We don't have any damn. And the fire have like ten. Oh Jesus. So anyway, <laughs> oh, I was happy until we remembered uh, that. Oh dear. Uh, Jared Mishu asked us, uh, who's going to be the sleeper player of the year? Uh, and Quite Revs has another question here. Who do you think will be, uh, uh, who do you think will perform above expectations and below expectations? So why don't we give a couple players both uh, who we think will do above expectations and then a couple below? Oh, that's so interesting. I can go first. Yeah, if you no, want no, the, yeah. Go. I want to, I'm going to look at the roster here real quick. Make sure I, I, I have who I, who I want here. The, the next question, too, uh, just so you can prepare all uh-huh. at once, is who who do you think will be a diamond in the rough on Revs 2? So I'll, I'll let you I'll plant that seed okay, in your, your okay. head a little bit. But above expectations, uh, the two guys I, I think will do a little bit better than uh, people expect. I, I mentioned Isaac Anking. Uh, I think he had a really successful season um, down in Charlotte last year. Uh, I know his, his career has kind of been thrown off a little bit from his infection, his injury a couple of years ago, and we haven't really seen a whole lot of him. But uh, I, I think Kellen Rowe is really the only offensive um, kind of central midfielder we have right now. And Anking kind of showed off some really good distribution skills at USL 
well from from what I saw. So I think if Cullen Rowe goes down and Diego Fagundes, you know, isn't forced into that spot where he's a bit of a, a square and a round peg, I think we could see Isaac Hankin kind of show up this year and, and take some significant minutes and, and do very well. Uh, I think Kessler, as we mentioned, uh, might get some starts here and there. And, uh, you know, as I say, Samba 2, Sean and I are not sold on Samba 2. If he turns out to be kind of a Claude Dielna type of bust, um, you know, if they need to move Farrell back to, to right back, um, if Mancien has injury problems, I, I do think there's a path for Kessler to fight his way into getting some starts and, and kind of showing what he's got. So uh, I think Anking and Kessler are two guys that um, I, I think will do a little bit better than expected. And if you want a third one, I'll, I'll go off uh, the, a little bit and say Teal Bunbury. I don't think people are expecting anything from Teal Bunbury this year. Oh, no. Um, but I think he's going to be one of the guys that comes off the bench no, Teal, and really makes an impact late Teal, in games. Teal Bunbury, um, I want everyone to remind themselves of this image because late in the year, Teal Bunbury missed like three games. He came off in that injury game like, 20 minutes in like Toronto and he didn't play for like three for like three weeks and the Rebs were miserably bad without him like it was the worst three games I think we played during that late season I don't want to call it a collapse but the late in the year when the Rebs just couldn't get anything going Teal Bunnery came back like the next week and it was like okay look now we're kind of good at soccer we didn't get the results but you can see okay Teal's back we kind of sort of figured it out um, so Teal Bunbury is very important. I, I, I hope, I hope, I hope, I know Teal Bunbury is going to get minutes off the bench. I still have a feeling Teal Bunbury, if, if Pania isn't getting it going or there's problems and the revolution can't figure out what they're doing with Bo and Buska up front, just go four, four, two, put the two strikers up front, put Teal on the right side at uh, right midfield. I don't care who you put at left midfielder, put Kaiseido and Gill diamond flat, whatever you want, just go four in the midfield and just say that these are like kind of like our 11 best players and just go. As far as an under-the-radar move, I think if Dewan Jones gets minutes at right back, I think that could be very, very fun and very, very effective. And that would be the one spot at the back line where I would say, you know what? If everything else is equal, if, if Farrell needs to stay in the middle of everything else and you've got kind of sort of a hole at right back, Dewan Jones and Seth Sinovic could be the guys that could fill that. I'm very interested to see what Seth Sinovic does, personally. I don't know what his role is going to be, besides, obviously, he could be the number two left back. Um, so the Seth Sinovic free agent signing was a very interesting one, because the Revolution seemed to have already settled their left back spot with Bootner. Now you're kind of going, all right, well, if left back is set, who's going to play right back? If Farrell stays in the middle, is it going to be by, um, that's an interesting thing. I like the Ankin pick. Um, but I'm going to go with, I want to, I don't know where it's going to happen. I want to see Justin Renix have a good 2020. I don't care if it's in USL. I don't care if it's in Rebs two or Hartford, wherever it is. I want to see Justin Renix get minutes and play well. I don't think he had a great 2019. Um, I think he was still learning, adjusting to, to the pro game, um, obviously the world cup run was, was obviously his goal last year development wise, which is fine. You know, go have fun, go, go be in the world cup, go beat France. I, I wanted Renix would be the guy. I don't know if it's going to be an underrated thing, but Renix would be the guy I want to see succeed this year. So, and then do you have players going below expectations? Um, oh, below expectations would, would hurt. Cause I don't want anyone to be below expectations. Um, I got bad news for you. I got bad news for you, Jake. Cause uh, you mentioned uh, Dewan Jones on your above you expectations. Have him, don't tell me you have him on your below expectations list. Oh, I think a lot oh, of people are going to be disappointed. I don't know where he's playing this season. I, I just think well, from you know, minutes wait, perspective. If, if that's the disappointment of I don't know where we get Dewan Jones minutes, like, yes, that's disappointing. But we have that question now for a lot of people, and you, you can't solve that problem 
at the MLS at the MLS level for everyone. So you're going to have to ship some people down. And if that means that maybe you've got a week where it's like, you know what, we kind of sort of know the 20 guys that we're using for the MLS roster. Let's send four or five people down and get them minutes at USO one. And I think you're going to see a lot of that. And you're going to see a lot of those those guys get rotated, you know, down. And I hope if Dewan Jones is one of those guys, then great. You're, you're making my argument for me here on Dewan Jones because essentially the way I kind of see this playing out is Andrew Farrell and Brandon Bayer are going to cover right back, so we're not going to see any Dewan mm. Jones there. We're going to see Sinovic and we're going to see Butner at left back. Fine. So I think what they're going to do is I think they're going to send him to Revs 2 or potentially to, to another USL team and try to develop him as a winger, and he's just blocked by so many yeah. players. I, I think Dewan Jones' best, best position is as a winger, and I think this is going to be a developmental year for him, and I think that's going to disappoint a lot of people because he, he well, kind of was a bit of a fan favorite last year and coming up as an outside back and kind of really starring. But I, I think DeWan Jones is not an outside back. I, I just, and I think the revs see that too. I mean, maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe he's starting at right back from day one. I I, I don't know, but I, I could see a very, I, I could see a situation where DeWan Jones makes one or two appearances this season. That's entirely possible. But if, if he makes, if we're talking about, well, he only makes a handful of revs, MLS first team appearances, but he gets, I don't know, some absurd 2,000 minutes somewhere else. I don't necessarily see that as a disappointment. It's just, is it a step down from where he was last year? Yes, but last year was a different situation because at one point we were bad and we didn't have a left back and we ended the year with a left back um, with respect to Edgar Castillo, who unfortunately was hurt and missed a lot of the end of the year. But that was a question mark for New England going in like, well, God, like who's the other left back? Oh, it's going to be Jones. Is that a good thing? couple games in. Oh, yeah, it's fine. That'll work. Late in the season. Oh, he's played like there for like two straight months. When did that happen? Oh, he's pretty good at this. So yeah, it's, is it disappointment that he's not going to play 15 games like he did last year? Yes. Should he be playing 15 games in MLS? No, probably not. That's not something we want him to be doing uh, because, again, it means that bad things have led to him getting those minutes. I have no problem with him developing at a different pace than being thrown into the fire last year and I think doing pretty darn well, and probably, you're right, overachieving. So yes, he's going to take a step back. Is that going to be a disappointment? It depends. Well, and, and so the other two people, I just want to kind of throw this out here too, uh, and I think you might agree with me uh, on these two, but I have Samba 2 as below mm-hmm. expectations, I think, for reasons we uh, outlined last yep. podcast. And uh, Christian Pania, I think, has, I have on my list as being someone who, um, you know, really started out hot in, in uh, with the Revs, but really the last year to year and a half, um, I, I think the results have been a little disappointing. So I think we'll go into the season. I, I think some people would say they don't have a lot of expectations for Christian Pania, but um, yeah, that, that's my list. Juan Jones, I, I think, will be kind of a victim of circumstance. Mm-hmm. And then Samba 2 and Christian Pania, I, I think, will have some lackluster performances. Yeah, it's, you know, I think Pania is a, very, a bit of a microcosm on, on the Rebs in general because he's very streaky, as the Rebs usually are. So when, when Pania is finding the score sheet, it's usually like three goals and an assist in like four games. And I think he's done that like a handful of times um, over the past few years where it's like, you know, hey, he gets a whole bunch of assists in a row. And then you just don't see him on the score sheet for like over a month. And then you come back and then in the stretch of like, you know, three or four games, five games, he's got two goals. He's got two assists. He's got, you know, 15 shots, whatever it is. Um, you yeah, know, he's, he's just inconsistent all right, the way. But around. also with some of that is like, well, some of it, he's being a sub, some of it, he's starting. So it's, it's always hard to kind of sort of gauge. It's kind of hard to sort of gauge where, 
where he is. Um, but like I said, the, there's so many, you know, versatile players and versatile options. Um, you know, I don't have a problem with, with, you know, rotating out who's starting, who's on the bench. All the minutes are not going to be, well, someone's going to play like, you know, every single game. I, I think you're going to see a lot more balance this year. And, and Pania and Jones and Teal, you're just going to see some guys you expect to, you know, rack up a couple thousand minutes. There's just not that many minutes to go around this year. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. But uh, just to wrap up here, uh, so I have on my list uh, Anking and Kessler as above expectations uh, and Teal Bunbury. You have Dewan Jones and Justin Reddix. Uh, and then for below expectations, I have Dewan Jones, Samba, and Pania. Seems like you agree with me on Pania. Anyone else? Ah. Uh. It's a it's a tough ask because you it's, don't know. Yeah, who it's a tough ask. To I will say, point. you know, I I think statistically, um, we should we should prepare ourselves for for Matt Turner not being God this year. I nope nope. I no, mean, no. I'm just saying. I'm moving just on, saying. Moving on. Oh, I'm just no, saying no, no, no. we should we should We're prepare not, no, ourselves no, no. now. No, no. Moving on. <laughs> moving on to the next point. Yeah, it's just. I know. I uttered blasphemy. <laughs> um, I consider putting him onto the above expectations because he'll always listen. I don't know how much more above expectations we can get with Matt Turner. We all love him. We all we, we think he's the best. Uh, in terms of the question of who do you think is a diamond in the rough on Revs two, I don't know if you have formed an opinion on this one. Uh, and, and this is just like throwing darts at a dartboard here. Uh, but the uh, striker they signed, Malele Malongo. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Played one year at Salem State, then he moved to UMass Lowell. Trained with the Revs first team last year. It seems like a, a person that. The Revs have been keeping an eye on for a while now uh, since they brought him into training um, last fall. So um, he's signed to a USL contract. Again, it's the likelihood of someone jumping to the MLS team and making an impact is pretty unlikely, uh, at least in 2020. So, uh, you know, it's kind of tough to, to judge. But um, of the signings that I've seen, I think Milongo, uh has, has seems like he has some potential and it might be a bit of a late bloomer, uh, kind of in the kind of like Tayon Buchanan. I know he, he kind of uh, fell into the super draft because he was a uh, kind of a late bloomer in, into soccer. And, you know, we hear about Matt Turner too. I, I think these people that kind of develop in their college age years are kind of where you can find some value. And it seems like Milongo has developed uh, over the past couple of years. Yeah, the big one for me, I think, is, is going to be Nick Woodruff, which is the uh, alumni Academy alumni from Michigan State who left college, and he did that. He did so not for a homegrown contract, for a USL contract, and I think that's a big step again for the Revolution front office, being able to get their academy guys from college onto into the professional organization, whether it's USL, whether it's MLS. And on that path too, the next question here, Revolution Report says, which young players do you see playing with the first team and which do you see playing with Revs 2? Uh, are there any players that are too good for Revs 2 but not good enough for the first team? Uh, just kind of, I, th I think we kind of covered yeah, the it's, Revs it's kind of sort of, it's, players it's, it's, last yeah, week. It's honestly, it seems like most everyone is probably, you know, from some of the recent draft classes in particular and the homegrown guys. Here, oh, I, I can give the, here, let me give this list real quick because I think you'll mm -hmm. agree with me. Uh, I think Dewan Jones, I, I, for the reasons I just mentioned, Isaac Anking, uh, pretty much anyone on the supplemental or reserve roster, Isaac Anking, Tayon Buchanan, Justin Rennix, Firmino, Damian Rivera, uh, Jeff Caldwell, and then, as I said, Dewan Jones really yeah. is the only player on the senior roster that I can see see going down. Maybe you get a cameo here and there from Kellen Rowe or Scott Caldwell, but I don't, I don't really think so. Uh, it's USL League One, so I don't know what give, good giving them any minutes. Yeah, are. no, that's, uh, I mean, maybe, but like you said, maybe, but like that's already you just ran off about like six or seven guys who are like I would say like would be quote unquote third team, third string type 
on the or third third on the Revs depth chart, but those are also guys who have a few of those guys have gotten some significant minutes. Um, Buchanan, I think, is a great option where it's like, where are we playing Buchanan? Well, let's see if Buchanan can play right mid. Ba can play right mid. Let's see if he can play up front. Yeah, he can play up front. That's what you can do in the USL with some of these guys. Can we play Dewan Jones at left mid? Sure. Can we play him at left wing? Sure. Left back? Yes. Right mid? Sure. Um, you're going to see, the, I think, the MLS guys bounce around and fill holes as needed and let the veteran guys and the guys like the, the defenders just be where they are and use the MLS guys to fill in. Well, we kind of need a striker here. Renix, go start. Um, hey, we kind of need a, you know, a Teal Bunbury type thing going on over here. Buchanan, get over to right wing. That's what I want to see with the USL team. Like, I want to see like the same like five or six, seven guys start and then the developmental guys, you know, rotating them around and seeing, you know, the, the, the MLS guys where you can fill holes and where they can be used at the MLS level. Um, but there's, there's pretty much everyone you just listed, you know, Kessler, Woodruff, all those guys you're going to see for the most part probably get more USL minutes this year than MLS minutes, which is perfectly fine because uh, there weren't, there aren't enough MLS minutes to go around, particularly for that group of players. And then for the question of who's too good for Revs 2, but not good enough for the first team, uh, I, I think Tejon Buchanan is probably the, yeah, the Te- best. I, I, think, I think you want to see someone like a Tejon Buchanan or Justin Frenix just go out there and just have like a month where it's like, okay, you are clearly better than this level. And when we notice that, I want to see this organization go, okay, you stop. We're going to get you an actual usl championship level loan we're going to sort of quote unquote graduate you from us from you from revs too you can't be here anymore it's not fair get him to hartford get him to rhode island get him get someone over into the usl championship and get them more minutes and then develop someone else um so that you can still use that usl championship level for those tweener guys i if that means dewan jones gets a month-long loan to somewhere great um if that's hartford if that's um, you know, the future Rhode Island team, if the Rochester Rhinos come back, I don't care. Um, that's going to be another interesting element. I think that you, you, you brought up and I'm reinforcing it a couple of times here. Um, if, if you have guys that are crushing it at USL one, get them into the championship somehow. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, one last question here from David, uh, does this team have a real chance of winning MLS cup? Um, I'll, I'll let you feel that one first. You know what? MLS cup, it, this is, I want to temper, listen, we're all excited. We're all very excited. This has been a bad organization for a very, very long time, and we expect them to take several big steps forward this year. That might not be a lot of big steps forward in the standings. Um, that could mean a lot more goals. That could mean uh, a lot more wins. Um, but it might not be, you know, a much higher seed in the playoffs. Um, this was a seventh seed that limped into the playoffs last year, and and deservedly so. Um, it was a team that gave up a ton of goals last year, and that needs to be, you know, worked on. And it was in the second half of the year; it was much better. We were only giving up like one goal a game or something like that. Um, we need to see this team uh, turn games last year that were, you know, the late equalizers that helped get you a point. Those need to be late winners. And there were a lot of games last year where the Revs could have won them, and they didn't. Particularly, it took them like 4,000 years to clinch the actual playoff spot, even though they were more or less assured the seventh seed since like September. Well, they didn't clinch until the last week of the year, seemingly. Um, that's the step that I want to see them take this year. Games you have a chance to win late, 
uh, I want to see you win them. Games that you're dominating, particularly at home, I want to see you win those games. Playoff results, deep playoff run, open cup run, everything else again is gravy. You had you took a big offseason step. You ended the season pretty well last year. We know this team can compete with a lot of teams in the league. Now we need to see you take the step of seeing those wins, seeing those games that you can win, turning them into three points. Because last year, a lot of them, you were getting no points. You, you turned a few of them into one point. Now let's see you turn it into three points. And then, once we've proven that they can do that, okay, now we can start setting our sights on Eastern Conference Final, MLS Cup type level of expectations and talent. Yeah, but, but the, one, the one thing I'll add, though, here is that I think last week we kind of said that, you know, Sean and I kind of projected where we end in the standings. And we're, we're you know, I think we both kind of settled around third or fourth, maybe in the East. So, I, I mean, yeah. that's not, you know, no, it's not. But I mean, like, for, so it, you got a, you have a real good chance. Yeah, no, like, let me say, like, like last year they were negative seven goal differential and they were 45 points. Fourth place Toronto was 50 points and a plus five goal differential. Guys, that is not a gigantic step forward. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they can carry over that momentum and build off of it. Um, certainly a lot of questions going into the season, but uh, it will be interesting to see if they're able to take that next step forward. So uh, that wraps us up here uh, today. Uh, Jake, where can the good people follow you on? Uh, they can find me at jcatnice43 at the Bent Musket. Um, I got off work. We did this. I'm going to take a nap, and then we might focus on trying to write a couple things before I go back to work. Um, I was going to say anything you want to pitch. Uh, you know, anything you we, know, we did, on the we did some of the draft coverage. We did we did some uh, some of the draft grades. Um, I would like to to again pour one out for the SB Nation mock draft, in which uh, in our preview for the mock draft, I said, "Hey, it'd be really nice if we got that Kessler guy at six. I don't know if he'll be there. Uh, hey, look, he was there. I got one right." Um, but like I said, it, it, the the draft season to me is this is this is a wonderful time of year. It means that preseason is opening; it's right around the corner. We're seeing everyone come back to uh, to the the new training facility, having their team meetings. Um, we've already seen a very happy Kellen Rowe doing an interview with Jeff Lemieux, and um, if that doesn't warm your heart on a freezing, cold, snowy day in New England, um, then I just, I just can't fix you. Is there something wrong with you? You're broken. Well, don't read the comments on that. That, that tweet. So, uh, Kellen Rowe has a long way to uh, <laughs> earn back all the, the, you know, I think the graduation comments still ring true. Uh, you know, still still staying for some people, which, you know, is fair. Is fair. Uh, he didn't exactly leave on the best terms, I, I would say, his first time. But, um, yeah, I, well, I was going to well, say it's, uh, I don't, again, another another opinion that I don't think you speak for all Rebs fans. No, 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 I'd listen. As, as always, uh, the, the uh, <laughs> opinions of uh, myself and the state of Connecticut belong to myself and the state of Connecticut. And we mocked mercilessly by everyone else, as is per uh, standard operating procedure on uh, the hell site known as Twitter. Well, uh, you know, Twitter opinions aside, uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us. And, and as I say, uh, you can follow the Bent Musket uh, on Facebook or at the Bent Musket on Twitter. Uh, and you can follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap. And please like our Revolution Recap fade, uh, page on Facebook. Uh, please also leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you are listening. Uh, with training camp underway this weekend and most of the roster filled out, I don't think we'll have anything uh, really to cover over the next few weeks. So unless there's major news, uh, this will probably be our last podcast until preseason games start up uh, next Next month, February tenth. Uh, so until then, no, thank you everyone. And there's for no desert oh, diamond cup. What? We, how do we defend I, the desert diamond? R.I.P. R.I.P. I know. Well, we can't. You know, 
we're still the true champions because we That's never. That's true. We didn't defend the title. We can't lose the title if we can't defend it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, as always, everyone, thank you for listening, and go refs.